0: There's one I just sold recently. I bought it for 38,000 and I sold it three months later for 130,000, wow. so that was like a really good like, quick flip. I have another one I just purchased for 35,000 and I'm planning to run that one for a little bit and hopefully sell it later in the year.
1: Welcome to The Fi
2: Show, where you get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Financial Independence Show, where today we're going to talk to Chelsea Clark about building blogs and also buying and selling blogs. But before we get into that, let me check in with my co-host, Justin. What is going on, man? Hey, Cody,
1: recording live from the Virgin Islands. So sorry for those out there. If the sound quality is a little rough, I do not have my mic with me. Flew on spirit to get out here and only had the personal item bag. So we were out here for a week in the Virgin Islands with undersized backpack each. So not a lot of gear, (laughs) but it's been awesome out here. The colors in the water are just insane. Our house has a great view, a lot of fun little bars and restaurants, not crowded at all. Like there's nothing here that's crowded. We're spending most of our time in St. John, flew into St. Thomas, but we're staying on St. John. First time here, but it's a pretty cool spot. Groceries are expensive, though. I'll tell you that. Groceries don't play around
2: here. I got to say, Justin, I've been seeing some of your pictures. Not only am I super jealous, but if you guys have not listened to that grocery episode from last week, go and listen to it. Justin, you're looking shredded, dude. You're killing it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Appreciate it.
2: For me, I actually had a pretty exciting weekend, bunch of events lined up. So on Friday, we had our friend Kyle's 30th birthday. And we did a big surprise and he was completely surprised. You can tell in someone's face when they just have no idea. So we had that at a local restaurant over near where the Patriots play, actually. And then on Saturday, we have a friend whose dad owns this boat, like the Tiki boat. and He's going to be launching them this summer in Boston. So if you guys are looking for something to do and you're in the area, it's tikiboatboston.com, I think is the url but we were like the test run so it was pretty cold because it's april in boston we're out in the boston harbor (laughs) but it was like all you can drink we had this awesome bartender they were playing music it was an absolute blast like this thing's gonna be so much fun during the summer wish it was maybe like 20 degrees warmer but it's all right we still had an absolute blast and then we stayed out in boston for the rest of the night and we get to catch up with some old friends hit a couple bars do some karaoke it was an all-around pretty fun weekend But Justin, that's enough about us and what we got going on. Let's talk about our guest for today, Chelsea Clark. So Chelsea just has one of those wow stories. You'll hear in this episode, she ends up quitting her job with like Almost nothing in savings with no real prospect of her side hustles panning out and becoming a full-time thing. You now Fast forward to now, she's a you know, seven-figure business owner, is absolutely crushing it, has built multiple blogs up. Now, in addition to her main site, her paper route, she also started a marketplace for people to buy and sell blogs because she got so into buying and selling blogs, basically buying kind of like old, beat-up blogs. Think of it like real estate. She buys like old, beat-up blogs, like an old, beat-up home, makes it nice And then she'll resell it for a profit later on, like months or years down the road. So super cool episode is something we haven't really talked about too much before and excited to dive in in a minute.
1: Yeah, Cody, I think the part that's really different about this episode that will stick out to a lot of people is this idea of kind of flipping websites or websites being almost like real estate where you take something that's a value add kind of property, something where the person could be doing a little bit more, they could be monetizing it more properly, get in there. Make those quick changes, get that profitability up. And then all of a sudden, now that website is worth a good bit more. It is just like being able to go in and add a value add to a property. It's also though a way to go in and to buy something where you're not starting from scratch. Maybe somebody else is really good at getting things off the ground floor, but they just don't have that passion that you have for that subject where you could take it to the next level. So it really doesn't have to be like, you're taking on someone's project that is about to fizzle out or it doesn't have to be like you just build something up to hand it off to someone else. Like It can be either side of the coin can work like you can either be building something up to sell it or you can be taking over websites that have that little bit of foundation but could just use your creativity and that next level of passion to really turn it into something. So if you like Tell the Story and want to just go find the links and the ways that you can get in contact with her or maybe you know someone who would be interested in buying or selling a blog and you just want to share this episode with them, You can do all that via the show notes at com slash Chelsea. That's com slash C-H-E-L-S-E-A. Take it away, Chelsea.
0: I'm from a single parent family. And we were always like dancing on the poverty line growing up. And, you know, I say that with love now, but it definitely was tough growing up single mom. You know, there's dinner on the table. It wasn't... Too bad. But we certainly didn't have like internet, a computer. You know, we didn't have any of those things growing up. We had one channel on TV. I had to get really creative with what I wanted to do. And I always loved writing. And I kind of just wrote for my life, basically. When I graduated from school, I was able to get some scholarships based on financial need and like creative merit, really, just being able to, as I say, write for my life. And that's what got me into university and who didn't have mentors growing up talking about money was very taboo in my family there was a lot of work i had to do like mindset money mindset work after when i got out in the real world because without realizing it just subconsciously i had picked up some really unfortunate feelings about money and wealth and people who had money well they must have done something really bad right they didn't do something they don't deserve it you know what do they do all of these things that i had just picked up on family members and people around me because we were in a very like working class situation and the people in my family, I, God bless, I love them. But yeah, growing up, we did not have positive money conversations, So this was something that I really had to figure out and just bootstrap it. And as I say, do the inner work on becoming more positive and you know letting go of those icky kind of murky, muddy things that go around money mindset. <laughs>
1: One thing I'm always curious about is like, okay, so you're getting ready to go to college. You've loved writing, but you come from, you know, you'd know, you mentioned, hey, we were kind of dancing on the poverty line, not sure how I feel about people with money. How did you envision your life, you think, when you're kind of going into college? What kind of job did you think you would have? What kind of earnings did you think you would have? Where did you picture your life going when you're going to college?
0: That's such an interesting question. And I think at the time, I really had no idea I was literally just hoping that I was be able to figure out things based on the creativity. And I always had an interest in flipping stuff, selling stuff. Like when I was in high school, I would go to Costco, I'd buy a bunch of chocolate bars and then I'd sell them for a bunch of money on my locker and like just little things like that. But when I was actually in college, I was going to school for music video production and film production And that led me more into digital media. And then that was like right the year that YouTube came out was the year before I was graduating. And then it was like, oh, like the music video industry is changing. Like it's all about YouTube. It's all about going to be online. And it was really that shift. And then, yeah, I got out of school when I graduated university. I was pretty sure I was going to be a music video director. (laughs) And then the recession hit 2008 and I had a really, really hard time finding a job. I worked as a waitress all through university, and my plan at the time was like, oh, I'll just work at a restaurant or a bar for one year after graduation, I'll get a great job, or I'll start my own music video production business, and it did not work out that way, and it worked out better, but there were certainly about six to seven years where it was just like struggle bus, everything felt really heavy and difficult. But to answer your question about where I thought things would go, I really want to radiate that it, I did not have an idea at the time, even at graduation, I didn't have a plan, which was part of the problem why I struggled so much is because I could not figure it out. It took me a little while.
2: I've heard you on different podcasts and on YouTube channels and blogs talk about like kind of the income side of things and building up websites and you scaled to a monumental business. I haven't really heard you talk about the expense side of things and knowing a bit more about your background. Did you have like almost an inherent frugality? from your mom since you grew up in that type of household or what did your expenses look like once you got that first quote unquote real job you're making real money in the real world did you have this like inherent frugality or did you you know start maxing out credit cards and get the nice lease car and the really expensive apartment and all the things that you know a lot of people unfortunately fall into that trap and then they kind of get in this vicious hamster wheel cycle
0: oh my goodness i definitely did not fall into that trap because <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> of my upbringing yes and you know anyone who's struggling through that right now like You can get out of it. Do not worry. Like, you can be smart. You can figure it out. But at the time, it wasn't even an option to get into credit card debt. I was literally like waiting tables. I couldn't afford my groceries. And so I was like, if food got sent back, it was made wrong. It was like me and the other like broke waitresses were like eating it really fast in the back (laughs) room. Okay. Like, let's, let's just like paint that picture. Not glamorous. So, no, I was just really trying to figure out everything as I went along. When I was about 22, I did get two mentors and they really put me into a better mindset about wealth and savings and investing. And I started a drop shipping business and I just started selling stuff online, which then eventually led into the other things. I did a little bit of drop servicing as well. That's just when you sell a service, but you don't actually perform the service. You get someone on like Fiverr or Upwork to actually do the service and then you sell it at a profit. So my expenses at the time, I was really limited. I didn't have an advertising budget, but when I was building up the dropshipping business, I was really just focused on word of mouth. So anytime I meet someone and be like, "Hey, you gotta check this out!" When I was waiting tables and I, you know, people want to chat. Oh, what do you do for school? Blah blah. blah. They always want to talk to their waitress. I would use that as an opportunity to sell my services, like sell them <laughs> about my store. I was also building websites for people. So I'd like slip my business card in their bill. Like, you know, like, (laughs) no, I wasn't trying to like pick them up, but I was trying to get more customers. So that was kind of fun. But yeah, expenses for me at that time were super, super small. I didn't have the opportunity to have big expenses. But in 2017, that's when I was working at a business brokerage. I had a little bit of savings And I was pregnant and I decided that I was going to not go back to work when my maternity leave ended. So that's when I was like, okay, I need to invest a little bit of the savings that I do have and invest it into my new business, which was my blog. So the expenses that I really focused on was things like web hosting, a little bit of Facebook ads. And by a little bit, I mean like under $400 a month. Like I was just starting very, very small with investments at the time. I wasn't able to hire a virtual assistant or a team at that time. So I was figuring out everything myself so that I could do it myself. And then eventually when things started to pick up and grow, I could train a team, or a virtual assistant to, to take on different roles in the company. But yeah, in the beginning, that's what it was. It was like a little bit of advertising. It was a little bit of well, web hosting, paying for the domain, stuff like that, like very, very basic stuff. And the more the business started to pick up and I started to earn a bit more, then I would just reinvest into other things that I could actually focus on the growth of the company.
1: And where were you finding like inspiration to do these businesses? Like what made you choose drop shipping, or what made you choose to get into blogging? Was there some kind of exposure that you had to it that made you think that it was a viable option or just kind of where did that come from?
0: I love that. And I think that with the blogging, it was a hobby for a long time. I didn't even know that it could be a business back then. It was just something I enjoyed doing. And it wasn't actually until 2016 when the exposure that I had was I was working at a business brokerage and I was running their blog and I was monetizing their content and working on SEO and all that kind of stuff for their website. When I made the connection, well, why don't I just do this for my own blog? And when that, Connection was made. It was like everything just fell into place after that. So I would say that's where the exposure came in. For drop shipping, I honestly don't remember. I must have seen something on Pinterest back then, or I don't know. It's so long ago. That's <laughs> 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 must have been something like that. Must have been Pinterest.
2: <laughs> I want to go back to the point where you quit the bartending job or the waitressing job and you're like, I'm going to go yep. on in my blog. I think you're kind of underplaying the decision that you made. I heard in another podcast, you said you had a little bit of savings. You had like $2,000 in savings, right? Like that is a very little bit of savings to go and (laughs) quit all of your money making activities to go all in on your blog. What was your blog bringing in at the time? Like, how do you get the confidence to go and quit basically everything that makes you money to go all in on this one thing that didn't, I don't want to say didn't have legs, but it wasn't fully supporting the cost of your lifestyle at that point.
0: Yep, absolutely. I was getting about $300 every two weeks from maternity leave. I'm in Canada. So okay. I know we have it a little bit better when it comes to maternity leave than our friends in the state. So I did have that and I was able to live on that. And yeah, I didn't have any proof that it was going to work, but I had the belief that I was going to make it work. I had had a couple affiliate sales come in and it was like $100 here, $40 here. And then I was like, oh, I can do this. If I just get more traffic to these pages, then I'm going to get more conversions. If I create better lead magnets and I get people onto my email list, then I don't have to pay for the ads. I can just talk to people through a newsletter and show them the next step and the next thing that they're going to need. And that's what I focused on. And you're right, I didn't have legs, I didn't have any proof, but I took that chance. And a big reason for it was because I didn't want to put my newborn baby in daycare. And also, my husband, he was working. So we weren't going to starve or anything. But it was funny because at the time when I told him I wasn't going back to work, I was going to make my blog our career. It was going to happen. It was all going to fall into place. He thought I was absolutely nuts and he didn't believe in my idea. He's a very practical guy. He's British. He's just very much by the books. And I'm like from a hippie mom family, like, oh, yeah, we'll just make it work. It's fine. And then it was a little tough because he didn't believe in me. And of course, as you know, you want your partner, your loved ones to believe in your ideas and everything. But in the beginning, didn't have that support. It was about seven months in when now my blog was making about almost $2,000 a month, just a small site. And I decided to put it up for sale and it sold for $40,000. And he was like, Oh, okay. I see how this can work now. And fast forward to now, He has quit his job. He used to be a construction worker. And now he's a YouTuber. And he's just like 100% on page with the plan. But yeah, back then, there was no proof. So I can't blame him.
1: (laughs) And what kind of like encouragement or advice would you give to somebody who's out there thinking about starting something when they maybe also don't have that support network? And are there things that they should do to keep themselves honest if it doesn't actually take off. Like obviously in your case, it, it did take off, but are there like guardrails you would recommend? People set up around a project before maybe they need to reassess.
0: Yeah, I think that if you are not super cool with taking risks, then go slower than I did. I am more of a risk taker, I would say. And I had the plan, right? I had things in line that I knew I could make work if I got more traffic to a lead magnet page. Like I had a plan It wasn't just me taking a blind leap. There were some systems that I had put in place. So if anyone is wanting to get into this type of business or any type of business that they're thinking of building, I would say if someone in your family or loved one isn't supporting you, accept that that's okay. We can't expect everyone to. And honestly, they're not your target market. So just keep your blinders on and keep working and keep focused on what it is that you wanna do. Because the people who are successful Really, all it is, is they just didn't give up. They just kept on doing it. Even when there was no income coming in, they just literally kept getting up every day and doing that thing. And they're still here now doing it. And people know them and, you know, they get them on podcasts like this is just because they've seen their name around only because they didn't give up when everyone else did. But putting up those guardrails to sort of give yourself A little bit of safety is have a little bit of savings if you can so that before you're just quitting your job and you're going headfirst into it you do have an emergency fund and also have a second have a plan B be willing to pivot know that things can change algorithms change like something that might be feeding you traffic on Google now Two months from now, it may not, especially now with AI and things changing, how people get information. So be willing to pivot. That's a very good skill of any entrepreneur is being able to be cool when things change. Know that what's working now probably won't work years to come. Being cool with that and being able to try something new and always be kind of testing and learning. Never think that you have it all figured out because no matter what, whatever you have figured out right now, it's going to change something's going to change especially in like the tech industry and online entrepreneurship industry.
2: Now I know you're someone who's super data-driven Chelsea like you are someone who looks at the numbers and you decide this is what I'm going to focus on because you know these metrics make sense or this is where the money is. Back in 2017 when you took the blog full-time you went all-in how did you kind of divvy up your time like how did you know how much time to focus on each segment of your business because I think that's a lot of what new entrepreneurs struggle with you know, maybe they do quit their job like you did, but then they're just like, okay, now I have you know these 40 to 80 hours per week. I have no idea how to kind of take this business to the next level. Did you have like a game plan of how you were going to divvy up your time and what projects you were going to focus on based on different metrics and different data of maybe stuff you're reading or watching or consuming in any way?
0: I feel very fortunate that the week or maybe the week after I decided I was going to make this work... I found myself, I think I clicked on an ad and it was for Teachable. They were having a virtual summit where a whole bunch of different creators were talking about the different things that they sell online and selling online courses. And I found it just so inspirational that seeing all of these other people that were out there doing this and that was something that sort of lit a fire for me. Anytime that you can get around other people doing the thing that you wanna do, even just virtual watching them in a summit like it was for me at the time, That was the inspiration that I needed to see. And that was really, really helpful. But how I was able to actually divide up my day, let me tell you, I had a two-month-old baby at the time. I didn't have a life outside outside of baby time. I wasn't going out and doing anything. I wasn't able to go see friends. I was not a busy social butterfly in that season in my life. So I was literally sitting on the couch like baby asleep in my arm and then one hand on the laptop figuring out what I needed to do. And for me at the time, the focus was content. So writing content, writing blog posts, writing sales pages, writing out affiliate offers and focusing on building my email list so that every single blog post I published or sales page I published, it had some sort of conversion element that would get people onto my list for every single article. And that's really what I focused on for the first few months. And then slowly that started to pick up Honestly, if anyone is thinking what to do, even though that was 2017, building your email list still now is the most priceless asset in your company. And I really, really, really do believe that because you don't own your social media platforms. TikTok might be getting banned, right? If you've built up a big audience there, you could lose them tomorrow. But if you've been focusing on getting that audience onto your email list, you can message those people at any time and get right into their phone, right into their home, right into when they're sitting on the toilet, looking through their phone, your name is going to come up in their inbox, right? So that's something that I would say, if you're trying to think of how you can organize your day to get things up and running, is really just focusing on platforms that you own. So your website and your email list, that's going to give you the long-term ROI.
1: And I've heard you mention several things that obviously show like you know how well you know this stuff, but you've also mentioned like you're just teaching yourself. So what did that look like? I mean, are you literally just going out Researching general topics like on Google and finding things to teach yourself how to do it? Or what method were you using to upskill yourself?
2: We'll be right back after a quick word from one of our sponsors. Today's sponsor is one I use on a daily basis in my company, Gold City Ventures. That is the sound of a sale in your Shopify store. But did you know that Shopify now also powers in person selling? Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store or small business. Accept payments, manage inventory, they have everything. Shopify brings together your in-person and online sales business into one source of truth. One dashboard, everything in one place. You know exactly what's going on. And now they have all these customization options. They have plug and play tools that you can integrate with Instagram or TikTok or wherever. You can take your payments by phone or by tablet. Shopify makes it easy. Plus, if you have any questions, their support team is there to help you. I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs in this audience, and Shopify POS just breaks down that barrier to accepting payments with your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash fyshow, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash fyshow to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash fyshow. Now back to the show.
0: When I was in university, as I said, I was in film school. I took marketing classes and I took digital media classes anytime I could, I was in the library. I, as I say, didn't have a computer of my own, right? So I was using the school library to read what I could and just kind of immerse myself in that. And when I got a marketing job, I was in events planning originally. So when I graduated school, I went into events planning while bartending at night. And I was able to learn so much just being in that sort of line of work. It was an entry-level like coordinator type of to support to the main marketing people and then that taught me so much and I just slowly kind of moved my way up through that and reading blogs, reading Pinterest, talking to people nowadays I go to as many events as I can so I'll try to go to live summits and I'm a part of Rhodium weekend I don't know if you guys have worked with those guys, but it's a really great sort of networking place where a lot of online creators and investors meet once a year and there's like a Facebook group and it's, it's really good to kind of stay in that line with people who are doing the kind of thing that you want to do and that you have been doing. That's what's worked for me anyway. But in the beginning, I didn't have the money to hire a mentor. In the last couple of years, I have hired mentors, coaches, and invested in online courses. And it's different now, which is nice. I'm now a corporation. So I'm able to you know have all of these different expenses in my business that are educational and sort of continue the growth of not just my business, but me personally. Um, but that's to say like it took a couple years to get to that point and you can bootstrap it if you're not there yet you can absolutely bootstrap it so anyone here that's thinking like well i don't have money to spend on like a forty thousand dollar coach then you don't need that in the beginning that can come later
2: yeah we all start just teaching ourselves i know you mentioned your expenses from the business perspective were minimal at the beginning i mean it's just paying for a domain and hosting and then you can figure out as much as you want. You can, once you have more money, you can start to pay for different courses and resources and get better and better. I want to quickly kind of define, not define, but maybe just talk about some of the ways that a blog is monetized. So before we hit go, we were kind of guessing at what percentage of our audience has a website. I'm not sure. I'm guessing like a third. I know about half of you listening are entrepreneurs, but I just want to quickly like define some of the ways that blogs make money and what ways you were focusing on Chelsea at the beginning and maybe what you've learned since then. And so someone who's just starting out like, Some people don't even understand how websites make money. They're like, okay, I get it. You have a website, you have blog posts, but like, where do the dollar bills come in?
0: Yeah. And the cool thing about blogging and content marketing is they can be used as marketing tools to sell any type of product. So if you have an e-commerce business, drop shipping business, physical products, anything like that, you can use a blog on your website to just bring in more people by creating content around the products and services and the things that you sell. That can be one way to actually get more sales from the product that you already offer. But the blog itself, when people come to your page, you can work with an ad network like Mediavine or Monumetric or Google AdSense. And whenever anyone is on your site, they'll click on ads or you'll get paid just for them being on the site for a certain amount of time and seeing ads. Affiliate marketing is my main revenue source outside of selling websites like buying and selling websites the actual revenue for the sites themselves my main one is affiliate marketing so that's anyone listening that's just you partner with a brand you recommend someone else's product so you recommend a brand's products on your website when someone clicks on that link where you recommended them they go on and buy something you get a commission and that can really add up especially if you're working with brands that have a high paying commission scheme plan so that's really good digital products that's another great way to make money blogging so, that could be like you create a course or an ebook, a PDF, a checklist, something like that. Just like I was saying, that was a big focus of me getting people on my email list. I use digital products. So, just a really great incentive that you give something for free to someone right away so that they're excited to give you their email address. So, those are the, the, the main ways. Then, of course, there's other things you could have subscriptions if you have an app or like a software, a SaaS product you can sell membership access to something, as I said, services. So those are kind of like the main ways. And the great thing is if you're thinking about building a business as an asset to then exit and sell for profit, if you have a combination of a couple of those different revenue streams, that's going to be a really nice look. So for when a buyer is looking to possibly make an offer on your site, they can see that the revenue is diversified. So You're not just relying on selling one product or promoting one affiliate offer, but you've got ad revenue, affiliate revenue, digital product revenue, and maybe even some sort of membership or something like that. That's just a really good look for resale.
1: Buying and selling websites, that's like, you know, not something that everyone is used to seeing or knows much about, I would say, just kind of like an interesting concept of like, how do people go about? Realizing there's a website out that they want to buy in the first place, or how does anybody know that that website's for sale? I mean, it's not like you know when you're buying a house, like you hop on Zillow, it's all there. Like I'm just thinking, how do these matches happen where people know that there's a site for sale, or they see a site that they want to buy?
0: Yes. So I became a business broker after being inspired working at a business brokerage, and then I was able to combine my love of content creation and buying and selling sites myself. So, I went through the International Business Brokers Association and then I launched the Zillow of websites. So, <laughs> I launched nicheinvestor.com, which was my audience over at her paper route. Started asking me, I was sharing my journey of buying and selling websites. I was sharing that with that audience, and pretty soon people just started asking me, Well, I want to do it too. Where can I buy a site? Where can I do it? safely. And so I launched the marketplace as a way originally just for our audience to have a place to list their site. And then it's grown into really a boutique brokerage. We now have four listing agents. They're all content creators themselves as well. So they really understand the ins and outs of buying and selling websites, as well as the actual content, like what makes a site valuable. That's one way there's lots of other marketplaces out there, though. Certainly I am not the first and I won't be the last. But really, if you find a site, you can just reach out to a seller. If it's not listed on a marketplace, you just see a website out in the world that you like. You can just reach out and say, hey, would you ever consider selling your website? And if you're going that route, and if they don't have a broker, you may want to get your own broker to protect you as a buyer. In that case, especially if it's your first deal, because there is a lot of things that you're going to want to have sorted and sale agreements and escrow and all that kind of stuff. But You can even find websites for sale in Facebook groups. That's another way too. So there's marketplaces, Facebook groups. You can just reach out to sites that you're interested in and just pitch the idea. Would they even be interested in selling one day? That's a little bit harder though, because most people that are running websites, they don't want to sell. You really are going to have an easier time if you go through something like a marketplace, a brokerage, something like that, where the sellers are ready. They're eager to sell. You're going to have a lot easier time getting a good deal out of those sellers.
2: And so what are some of the pros and cons of buying an existing website versus building your own? Like, let's say I'm a listener. Obviously, they're interested in personal finance and they want to start their personal finance website. And I don't know, maybe they see online that coolmoneyguy.com is for sale for $2,000 on your website, Niche Investor. What are some of the pros and cons? Like, what are things that are benefits of buying someone's website. What are things that people should look out for? They don't want to shoot themselves in the foot. Maybe they shouldn't have bought the website. Maybe they should have gone the route of building it themselves. Just, yeah, most people don't know. And I mean, I'm personally curious about this. If you could just kind of rattle off some of those pros and cons.
0: Definitely. So if you are considering getting into the niche of personal finance or any niche really, The thing is, if you are going to be building it from scratch, I always think it's a great thing to build your first website from scratch just so that you understand that process and you understand your cPanel and hosting and that like grind of building a site from scratch. So I don't do that anymore. Now I will just go and I'll buy a site that's already established and then I'll grow it. So the buy then build method and I do that because when you're buying an established site, you can get a website that already has traffic, already has domain authority with the domain, already has email subscribers, social media followers, tons of content that it would take you years to write or hire a team to write. So there's a lot of benefits in the time saved if you go for the route of buying a website. Not all websites are the same. Every single website is different. So if you're looking at a website, potentially make an offer on, you're going to make sure that you can see the profit and loss sheet. You can get in contact with the seller or the seller's agent so that you can ask all the questions that you have about the history of the business. You're going to want to ask for Google analytics access so that you can personally take a look at the history, the traffic of the website. You can see where traffic comes from, what the popular posts are, and on a personal level, you should really, at least if it's your first site that you're buying, Try to buy a website where you understand not just the niche, but also the revenue stream because it's gonna be really hard for you to grow a site if you have no understanding of how the site earns or if the niche is not in your wheelhouse at all. So at least for a first site, try to buy a website where you have some sort of personal expertise or interest, passion with the niche and that you understand how it's monetized. I always like to look for sites that have opportunities for growth in the monetization, like the revenue streams as well. So if I can find a site that is monetized maybe with, it's got some great digital products, but maybe it doesn't have as many affiliate partnerships. And I know I can come in and add some new affiliate links. I can see areas that I call them monetization gaps. So if you're looking for a site where you can put your own skills, your understanding of another revenue stream, that's gonna be a good look for growing the site and potentially selling it for more down the road.
1: I can assume one thing that could make someone like a little hesitant or skeptical is they're looking at this and they're thinking, all right, this is supposed to be a good website. It's making money. Great. Awesome investment. But if that's true, why does a person want to sell it in the first place? And so like, what generally is the reason that people are wanting to offload these websites if they are profitable?
0: There's a lot of reasons. One of the main reasons is because they got it to be profitable. They grew it with the intent of selling it so that they could then reinvest that money into another project. We have a lot of creators in our community who they build sites, they grow them, they create products for them, they drive traffic to them, they work on the SEO, and they have like a six-month to a one-year plan that their intention is they're going to be able to sell it. It's going to be worth something to resell. So they've been working on it for potentially a year to get it ready for a new owner or longer. The more established sites have been around for years and years. Another reason that people sell websites, probably the biggest reason is they are a hobbyist and they got bored. They lost their passion and lost their interest in that niche and they wanna do something completely different. Like they wanna try a different niche, a different industry. And they know that if they sell their site, they can then use those funds to reinvest into either another business that they wanna buy or start. A lot of people too, they sell because they've either changed in their life. Like maybe they started, let's take a mom blog for an example. They started the blog when their kids were little and now their kids are teenagers. They're no longer interested in writing about baby mom stuff and here they are with this site. They don't want to just keep running it forever and they don't want it just to die out. They don't want it just to expire and you know, they put lots of work into it and it's probably bringing in some money too so it is worth something to someone else. And then a new mom who wants to get into that niche can buy it and slap her name on it. And that's an important thing too to mention. Anyone who's thinking about buying a business If you can get a website that's in a niche that you want some authority in, let's say you're a health coach, you could purchase an established health business that aligns with the services that you offer. And then you don't have to start up a website from nothing. You don't have to start with zero authority. You can just purchase this established health site, put your name on it, and now your name is connected to this well-known health brand. So that's another reason too. Some people want to get out of an industry. They no longer have an interest in it and they just want to try something different. And those are the biggest reasons why we see people selling.
2: So I just want to make a distinction here because we've had people who are domain flippers on before and just to quickly kind of define the difference. And maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, Chelsea, but someone who's a domain flipper or someone who buys and sells domains, they're literally just buying like the names of websites. And then Maybe they're holding on to them. They think they're going to have some kind of value in the future. And then they go and just sell that domain name. They're not actually building something on that website. Like They're not going in and you know building a website on WordPress and writing posts and adding affiliate links, all these things. What you're talking about is someone who starts up a blog in whatever niche, they start to create some content and start to monetize it, whether it's through advertising or affiliates or their own products, like you mentioned before, when you're given the revenue breakdown. And then later on, they might want to sell it because they're maybe they're a hobbyist or they did it with the intention of building that up. Is that correct? That distinction there?
0: Yep, that's exactly correct. Yep. Domain flippers are just selling domains. Website flippers are selling complete websites, asset with like social media followers, and email list. You know, if there's traffic coming in, there's tons of content, there's probably products digital products or physical products. There may even be trademarks and LLC. It's a whole package, business in a box.
2: So what are some of the biggest gotchas or biggest things to watch out for, biggest mistakes you see people make when they're going and purchasing a website? Let's say I really want a snowboarding website and I see one on your site and I'm like, okay, I really want to buy this website. I'm in a snowboarding, by the way. I was just in Colorado for two weeks.
0: Nice. <laughs> I buy the
2: site Is there anything like with the transfer of the site, like if people messed it up and all of a sudden they lose all the backlinks, they lose like the domain rating because they made some technical error? Is there something where, I don't know. I mean, there's probably so many different things. There's so many different ways you can screw this up. I just want to make sure the listeners are best equipped to make the process go smoothly if they choose to go down this sad hustle path.
0: Yes. And we do have a snowboarding site for sale on cool. our site. So Really? That's awesome. <laughs> We're always selling. So yeah, I would say if you have just acquired a new business, the website has been transferred to your hosting now. It's in your ownership. Escrow is closed. It's all yours now. There's definitely some things you want to avoid doing, at least from the beginning. So you never want to change any URLs. So the address of a website, of a page on your site, you never want to change that because it's going to have some Google ranking that you could totally mess up. If you change the URL, you're going to lose that traffic. So just leave those as is. I always say do a content audit. So go through all of the blog posts and make the blog post better by adding more helpful content, maybe images, adding alt text to the image. So that just means like writing a description about what the image is about. And that is just part of the image in WordPress. Do you know you can do little things like that? That's going to help, but never take away from what's on the site. So I wouldn't go into a new site and start like taking a bunch of paragraphs out of a blog post because that could risk you losing rankings as well. So run the site for a bit without touching it because however the seller had it set up. This is how you can just kind of run it for a couple of weeks and see what happens. And as long as you're not doing anything like changing anything too crazy, then you should be fine. You can change the theme. If it's on an ad network and the ad network gets transferred to you, you can reach out to the representative at that ad network and they can just check that all the placeholders are still good. Now that it's under like your new hosting, that's something that you can do that can be beneficial. You can also make sure that if it comes with an email list, reach out to those people, introduce yourself, Every deal is different. But if the deal is that you're keeping the seller's name on the business as if they're still there, if the seller's cool with that, then you would you know, continue the conversation through email. So if the seller was sending a weekly newsletter, keep doing that, you know, just keep that consistency. And then you could even add a second newsletter a week that could increase sales too. You have more people opening the emails and getting more sales. There's tons of things that you can do to add value to the site publishing new articles, creating better products, making new connections with other affiliate programs. You can actually read, this is a little known fact that has actually worked really good for me, to reach out to current affiliate programs like this website is already connected to and try to negotiate a higher commission. That's something that takes a little bit of time by having those emails like the outreach, but it could actually really benefit you especially if that site has had sales there's like a history of sales to that affiliate offer, then you can use that as leverage and be like, Hey, like we've brought in a couple thousand for you in the last year. Let's talk about a commission increase. And you'd be surprised because brands you're making it so much easier for them. (laughs) The affiliate managers who run affiliate programs like you are honestly making their life easier. They can give you a little bit of a commission boost and you know, they'll love that. So that's a little tip that I like to share.
1: One thing I was curious about is valuations, whether that be buying something or selling something. Is there a general rule of thumb that people can expect? Like, I'm sure there's a lot of differences, but is it, you know, you take how much money that website brought in a year, multiply that by two and that's what it's worth or or what's a good rule of thumb?
0: Yeah, there's an industry standard that sites sell between 26 to 36 times the monthly profit that a site earns. So we're going to sell a site on the high end and it's earning $1,000 a month we could potentially sell that site for $36,000. Some sites even sell for more. I've seen up to 40 times. So if you think of it that way, for every dollar that your site is earning, you know, it's worth maybe even $3. So that's a good kind of benchmark to go on. But every site is different, as I say. So there's other factors that come into play. Revenue is certainly the first thing that we look at, but then we also look at traffic and the size of the email list or if they have a really big, really engaged Instagram following. You know, those other things can add to the value of the asset.
2: So shifting away from the nitty gritty of blogs and buying blogs for a second, I kind of want to get back to you and your story. because something I heard that was really interesting and something that like I've really internalized the past year or two is like scaling down and focusing on one or a few things that you do really well, rather than trying to run like 10 or 15 different side hustles at the same time. So I was hoping you could talk about your personal experience and hoping that our audience can benefit from maybe stop focusing on the 27 things you have going on, focus on the three big things that are making you the most money that you're the best at, and how that's really worked out.
0: Definitely. It's so important. And that's been a focus in the last two years for me. Instead of going horizontal, we go vertical. So just focusing on the things that are really working, whether that's one specific niche or one specific website, or maybe it's just one revenue stream on a website, whatever I can do to just really focus on that and build that out. And a big part of that for us, at least is we're always surveying our audience. Like I'm always any newsletter I send out, I'm always asking people to hit reply and let me know or to go over here and fill out a Google form and tell me what they think. And we base a lot of our product offers on what our audience tells us they want. And that's been something that I think has really helped with our growth too, because that way we're not just kind of flinging spaghetti on the wall and seeing what sticks. We're really just focusing on what the people who already love us, what they're telling us they want more of. And that's not to say we don't test other things, but I've really found that that's really worked and then now in the last couple of years too now that i have a team getting really good at being able to delegate that's been really helpful just letting go of me like that control that i know online are like solopreneurs and entrepreneurs a lot of us face is we think that we can do everything the best and you know we have to have our like helicopter control on everything and the truth is we really shouldn't there's so many creative talented people and people who want to learn And letting those people do what they're best at so that we can focus on the strategy or the creative or whatever it is that we are best at, not trying to do everything. That's gonna be a world of difference in uh, any company's growth, I really do believe.
1: And just to kind of round out like this business that you've built, I'm curious, like, what have you grown this business to be? Like, given the audience just an idea of like how much you have scaled this business and what do you envision doing with it next or going next?
0: Yeah. So my main blog, the one I started in 2017 was the beauty blog and I sold that one. The main site that I run, Her Paper Root, I started that around the same time. And that makes just under a million dollars a year. That's a combination of affiliate marketing. That's some courses that we offer, ad revenue. And then of course, I buy and sell websites. So I flip a couple sites a year. There's one I just sold recently. I bought it for $38,000. And I sold it three months later for $130,000. Wow. So that was like a really good, like quick flip. I have another one I just purchased for $35,000. And I'm planning to run that one for a little bit and hopefully sell it later in the year. So my plan is really just to build up digital assets right now. Sell off the ones when I want to reinvest into something else. And so I keep a small portfolio I have five sites right now that I run and then other ones that I'm intending to sell. And then, of course, we have the business brokerage as well that is hands-free for me, pretty close to hands-free. I have a really amazing remote team that handles everything there. But my plans for that is to grow it for a couple more years and then possibly exit that and just focus on blogging and staying in my little sweater with my dog and being at home. And that's what I love. You know, I'm like a really cozy person. So when I got to leave the quote unquote workforce to be able to run a business from home, that was like the best thing is honestly just being able to write from my couch to create products that help people and write content that make people happy. Like that is literally the best.
2: I love that. And I just love kind of the frame of reference. I think hopefully this episode has gotten people thinking a bit differently about websites. Like they're literally digital real estate. I don't think people kind of think of them like that, but like the domain flippers, it's literally like someone who buys land and then they flip it later, like hoping someone but like this, it's like a rental property, like it's spitting out a couple hundred dollars in cash flow every month, like it's appreciating if you, you know, treat the property right, the website right, and get the affiliate marketing and the products rolling, like and you can sell it for a hundred thousand dollar profit three months later. It's just crazy. And once you kind of get into this mindset and realize that this is a side hustle that people are doing, like I'm hoping that opens the doors to some of our audience members' eyes. And for people who are really interested in doing this, learning more about you, I know you put out a bunch of content. You obviously have the brokerage as well. Where are the best place or places for people to get in touch, learn more, all that good stuff?
0: Well, thank you so much, guys, for having me on your show. This is really, really cool. and so happy to get to be a part of it. You guys can find me at herpaperoot.com That is my blog where I share marketing advice and blog flipping advice. And nicheinvestor.com is the marketplace where investors buy and sell digital assets.
1: Well, Chelsea, thank you so much for giving us some time. It's a very like, awesome story that you have and very impressive what you've built. I'm hoping it gives a lot of people a little inspiration to, to get out there and try something that even if they don't have a support network, you just get out there and try something to educate themselves.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I do want to say, too, because, Cody, you mentioned about it's just like digital real estate. It really is. It's very much like physical real estate, but you don't need a team of construction people. (laughs) You don't need a big mortgage. You literally can do this with yourself or a small remote team. And the expenses are very low, considering if we're comparing like renovating a house, which I'm also doing, those expenses are very high. So it's a really nice profit margin within the digital space.
1: Thank you again for taking the time to listen to another episode of The Five Show. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support us, the best way to do that is to leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, share this with a friend. And also don't forget, you can find 200 plus episodes and all the information you'd ever want to have about these episodes over at TheFiShow.com. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button because that way every Wednesday you can have our latest episode delivered straight to your phone. Until next time. Hey, real quick before you go, I just want to remind you that I have made my personal like budget and net worth tracking spreadsheet available. The very same one that I use to track my net worth from $38,000 to over $1.2 million available for free on our website at thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet. So you can go download that today. That's thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet.